The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good day, everyone. It is Friday. It's our weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. A pleasure to have you all along with us here at Hoop Ball. That's where we're at. It's a Hoop Ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and we have a hell of a Friday show coming up for all of you guys out there. Before we even dive into anything, I want to remind everybody once again that this being Fantasy NBA Today and a Hoop Ball presentation, you can check out a Hoop Ball at hoop-ball.com. I am available on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And you can follow HoopBall's news feed, most important feed you will follow, at HoopBallFantasy. Take a moment, check those out this moment before we move on to the next part of our podcast. What's coming up on today's show? Why is Dan so excited, you ask? Well, it's Friday, which means we're rolling into our weekend show, which is a week in review. We've got all of our ads, holds, Watch list guys, drops, a streamer, a buy low recommendation. We'll take a look at every team's next game over the weekend, meaning the uh, every team, all 30 teams, anybody that plays over the weekend, which is pretty much everyone, including Friday night. We'll just go through Friday, Saturday, Sunday in that order and what we're looking for from the teams in their next ball game. What players are we watching? Why are we watching them? We'll also break down the Friday card from a sports betting standpoint, although we'll move a little bit quicker on that because this is our Friday shows are are pretty fantasy centric. I like to keep Friday as as kind of a special day, and and I did this in reverse order because the very first thing you're going to hear on today's show is a chat with our buddy Josh Lloyd, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, one of our favorite guests on the pod, one of the guys that you out there. In listener land have said, Dan, get Josh back on the show. So you asked, and I listened, and I thought it might be fun. I'm recording this part of the show after Josh and I have already talked, so I know what we talk about, but I also knew what we were going to talk about, so I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, I thought it might be fun to kind of pick Josh's brain on what has now turned out to be special about this COVID season. Because before the year starts, we all kind of had these general ideas of what we were going to do differently than than usual what what kind of tweaks we we're going to make to our rosters our, our lineups our strategy things like that one of mine was you got to get out to a quick start because you never know when your your roster might get completely obliterated and i am very much i have teams that are at at both ends of that spectrum i had a team that got off to kind of a middling start I think I went like 5-4 and four or 4-5 four and five the first week, which is effectively a tie in a head-to-head league. And then by the time week three rolled around, that team was missing, and he came back yesterday, so, you know, great. But that team was missing Alec Burks, Russell Westbrook, Jason Tatum, John Wall, Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Love, and Devin Booker were all out at the same time. That was last week. I know Booker now is back because the Suns are playing again and uh, Burks is back as of Thursday, which is nice because he actually had a pretty decent return to the floor with the Knicks on Thursday night. Uh, and Gallo, I think, actually was a pickup, so I don't know that I can necessarily take full responsibility for that one, but the rest of those guys, either injured, covid getting postponed, and that team is just getting smoked every week. I'm pretty sure that's a team that I built as a punt field goal percent team, Does that make sense? That might not make sense, actually, because the top two picks really weren't all that bad. Is the punt something team? Punt turnovers, maybe? I thought, all right, screw it. We'll go Russell Westbrook in the third, but he's been out for a while. So uh, what a disaster. I mean, my best case scenario there is to lose 6-3 every week. Win turnovers in the two percentages. That's my only hope because I'm going to get beat in games played by usually anywhere from 10 to, like, 18 in a given week. There's just, there's no hope. None. Teams just getting destroyed weekly because they're just, they're not playing. If a guy's actually playing games to have a chance in this damn thing. My opponent has a couple of guys out, so I, you know, I should have had a shot this week, but there are two injured reserved slots in this particular league, and then I've got four other guys that they're just starting. He's got one. 
you're just not going to win if your opponent has three more healthy guys than you. Conversely, I have another team that got out to a really good start. Uh, that team is currently sitting at 25-19. and 19. It's in second place in a league. And over the last five to ten days, that team lost John Wall uh, and C.J. McCollum to injuries on top of the fact that Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans have been on the shelf with a COVID team for a while. So luckily, even if that team falls apart at the seams, I'm still in really good shape and I can just kind of ride it out. So that was one of the big things I thought. And in Roto, similar but not quite the same because you can always make up for lost games later on. You can stream. There's other ways to sort of make it up. So Roto, I, I really didn't change my strategy all that much. So I thought it might be fun in our conversation with Josh here in just a moment to talk a bit about what we're doing differently this COVID season, a couple of interesting fantasy surprises, and just to check in on how the big guy's doing so far this year. Let's get right into that. Coming up here in just a second, the great Josh Lloyd. The masses have spoken. The masses have spoken. I said, name someone that hasn't been on the podcast in a while that you want to hear back. And they were like, we want Josh Lloyd. And I was like, dude was on the podcast like four weeks ago. And they're like, they don't care. So Josh, welcome back, man. How are you? <laughs> Uh, good to good to be back on, Danny. Good to good to have the people. Uh, I knew that was coming. I knew on. that Danny was coming in there. Are you are you happy oh, at man. what you've done to me? Yes, I'm. I, I always and this is something I've ever since I started doing my podcast or whatever. I, I want when I give people stupid names, I want it to catch on. I want to hear it somewhere else. <laughs> to have people just referencing you as Danny, I'm, I'm going to take it. I want I want a, a mainstream NBA announcer to throw out. Yeah, I want them to start calling Jamal Murray the headmaster. That's probably not going to happen, but if people are calling you Danny, I'm, uh, I'm happy with it. Yeah, it seems to be sticking, which honestly I'm fine with. It's fun. Um, Josh, of course, at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. You guys likely know that, but if you don't, you can go find him right now. Again, that's RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. He is the lead fantasy basketball analyst at Basketball Monster. Of course, has had the, I think, right, longest running fantasy basketball podcast in the world. Can I, uh, can I, don't I make know, that? I've probably, I've probably done the most episodes. I'm up to about 2,100. So I'd say that's probably okay. the most. I don't know if it's longest running, but it's been, it's been, this is the eighth season. So it must be getting up there. Yeah, that's, um, that's a lot. I think I'm about halfway. I think I'm at four years. So percentage wise, I'm gaining on you, but obviously by totals, I'm never catching up. That is, of course, Locked On Fantasy. That's the Twitter handle there at Locked On Fantasy. Uh, so I thought we could keep this one, this visit, a little more theory-based, because before the season we talked sleepers, we talked a, a mock draft that we all did together, which was a lot of fun, and we're in the grind now. You, you know, uh, you're looking at box scores every day, you're making your adjustments, little tweaks like that, and all of that stuff is well and good, but to me, I think the more interesting thing, and I, and I did a bunch of it on uh, the Wednesday show this week, was diving a bit more in trade stuff. I want to talk to you about this weird season, because I haven't really talked to another person about it, thank you, COVID, for uh, a few weeks as things have developed now, and we've seen these postponements. What have you, Josh, learned from the way the NBA is handling things that is there any strategic change you can make to how you handle this fantasy season? Well, what we talked about, and I think I think what you and me talked about this, but I've talked about it with many people at the start of the season. Said, look, this is the perfect time to try roto leagues because you're going to have problems in head-to-head -head leagues. There's going to be postponements. There's going to be absences. Um, the way you're going to try and mitigate it is to have additional uh, ability to add players during the week, additional injured reserve slots. Although the providers have been horrendous at their injured reserve designation. Um, larger benches, and all that has proven to be true. Like that is that way that they are ways that you can mitigate it. But during the week, I think what you need to be able to do is you you need to be able to access that spot to to um to just get volume of games in because there are going to be weeks where you are down nine nine games, eight games, and you have to be able to react, I guess, to to the news of who is out. Like, oh, all, now all of a sudden Peyton Pritchard's starting in Boston because their whole team's out. So we add him for this time. Xavier Tillman this week, you know, we've got, you know, it's Valentunas out. So we've got to add him. And, and really focusing in those head-to-head -head, um, matchup leagues is you've got to look short-term and not necessarily even um, the week ahead, but it's the day ahead. Like I do a show each week, you're previewing the week. And I was like, oh, well, you know, on Friday, these are guys you can stream. And I stopped doing it. I said, there's no point me telling you on Sunday who are guys to target on Friday because it's not, it means absolutely nothing. So you've got to be nimble and have those moves to do you know, an hour before the games, two hours before the games, whatever it is that way. So uh, in terms of 
the I'm trying to think of the the best way to to phrase this one. The strategically, how do how do you tweak that for a roto league? Then do you leave? Do you try to have more almost like a streaming spot at the end of your bench where you can have these these uh, COVID fill-ins available on a week-to-week basis? Well, I think in a roto league, it's a, it's a little bit different now. I don't know what your strategy normally would be in a roto league, but normally I'd play under game limits early on. Like I, I would just, I would not use my bench really, unless one of my major starters was injured long-term, then I'd sub someone in. But if someone missed one game here or there, I wouldn't be like, I need to scramble and add my bench guy in because I need to keep on 82 game pace. Because at the end of the year, what I'd like to do is I'd like to be behind pace and I'd say, well, God, I, I actually need just an absolute shit ton of threes here. So now I'm going to just add players that hit threes to try and get me that category back up at the end of a roto league. Now, you could fall way behind at the start of the season. You could fall too far behind in a roto league. So I think you need to have some level of streaming. But the other thing we need to remember is there is a difference between postponed games and games that players are missing due to COVID. So Jason Tatum missing this time for Boston. He's missed a lot of time, but a lot of their games have been postponed. So right. those games, they will get played. And in a Roto League, it doesn't matter if they're played in November or if they're played in May. Like It doesn't matter. Those games will come through. So if you are you know, hurting now because you've got a bunch of Wizards and Suns players and they've played one game in, in a week or, or two weeks combined, you know, if you're putting two, both teams there, it doesn't really matter because you'll get those games later on. They'll come back. But if you're missing you know, Jimmy Butler or you're missing um, yeah, Seth Curry for the for the last week and a half or you're missing Josh Richardson, I don't know why I'd still have him, but if you've got missing Josh Richardson, like <laughs> those games aren't coming back because like, they've, they've been played and, he, and they've missed those games. So that's where you've got to start maybe you know, catching up because if you've got a bunch of games that are missed, you won't be able to stream in an additional 20 games per position in the last two weeks of the season. Yeah, well, that's a really good point and one that actually probably hasn't been discussed enough on this podcast, which is the difference between a postponed game and a game missed by someone who's in contact tracing. Actually, we're recording this uh, well ahead of when... Uh, when the the episode is airing, but it seems to be happening pretty regularly now. Although, you know, another point on this, it seems like, and I don't know if you're seeing this the same thing developing that I am. It seems like teams now have kind of ratcheted up the contact tracing, and it, it almost seems like anytime one guy is out, it does seem like they're sort of moving into postponing those games. So, if that if that ter- turns out to be the case, does that does that make it a little simpler at least where then you don't have to scramble at all? At least before we were thinking, okay, this guy's missing a game. Is his team missing a game? And then as a follow-up to that, I know I'm, I'm, this is a loaded question. I'm dumping on your plate here, Josh is, you know, if you are now falling behind is the best way to make up to l- continue to let it lag. Like you talked about, cause that's something that I've also done in the past. Or do you want to, do you want to use those guys, those fill in guys as a way to stay close to your game's total. What's your way of kind of balancing that information? Yeah, I think you're right because you can get, you know, a tie, I'll use Tyrese Maxey. Like you could have said, well, all these Sixers guys are out. I'll wait till later. But they're adding someone like that who's then provides top 50 value for five games. Like you you want to grab someone like that and and play them in, into that spot. So I think it is something that you look at on a on a each case basis. It depends on you know, who I'm streaming in. If I'm streaming in Bismack Biombo, right? <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> if if you if you're doing that, right, and you go, oh, what's what's the point? Like is this actually going to be a good performance or is it going to be just like one of the worst back end performances that you could find? Like there's no need to do that just to get a game in. But if it is, my God, the Sixers have nobody, the Heat have nobody, and I'm going to throw Gabe Vincent in because he might drop 20 points, which he did for two games in a row, um, and do it. Because that level of production, that's like finding a top 50 waiver wire performer. And if you get one or two games out of that guy, then then you do it. But if it's just, oh, who, who's the best player available on the waiver? God, it's Royce O'Neal. Like, I'm not sure I'd be scrambling to do that. Because later in the season, you still possibly, who knows what's going to happen with vaccinations, but you might still have those guys at the end of the season where we're talking about the Hawks and Trey Young is out. Yeah, knock on wood. And then yeah, I've got Brandon Goodwin that's starting, and then I can add him and maybe get you know twelve and eight for three games, and that that's a lot more useful than yeah getting you know, six and seven with one steal. Yeah, so it sounds like from from talking to you here, and and this all actually makes a ton of sense as I'm as I'm rolling it all together in my brain. It seems like the idea, at least certainly from a roto perspective, because head to head you just 
you have to make sure you don't lose games by like 15 a week or you have no shot. On the Roto side, at least, it seems like it's actually slightly more important than usual to squeeze whatever, you know, like you said, top 50, top 75, whatever it happens to be, to squeeze some of those games out now earlier in the year. Whereas uh, for me, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this as well, normally, I mean, we're four weeks into the season. This this is pretty damn early. Most years, this is a time of year where I am almost exclusively looking for someone who I think is going to be a nice rest-of-season guy. But this year, number one, you just you can't afford to fall that far behind in games played. And number two, because half a team can get wiped out overnight, the fill-in guys can leap from top 250 to top 50 instead of like, oh, this fringe guy who was top 115 just became top 85 because one guy was out. There, You know, six guys are out. So there's these massive jumps, and it seems like those streamers are actually more important this year than they ever have been before. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, and it is it is really important to understand the context between everyone's opportunities in those games because, you know, understanding whether it is just a, a one-person situation where they're, they're just, well, I'll take it this way like for example you look at you say the injury in Portland to CJ McCollum right so Rodney Hood starts he shoots well last game but it's not going to happen every game and right. he's going to be okay but is it someone that I wanted like oh my god I have to have him because he's going to do top 50 numbers every game like no but when seven guys for one team are out and you got 40 minutes of Dakota Mathias <laughs> then maybe I want to use 40 minutes of Dakota Mathias because it's he's going to just have every touch possible in that in that situation, so guys and can just take bigger leaps that's, that's, overnight. Really, is what it sounds like. What was that? Sorry, it, sorry, I just I jumped in there. It, it just sounds like guys can take bigger leaps overnight than I, really ever before. Yeah, exactly. And, and understanding who those guys are, and and then and playing them versus the the one guy who's getting who's, who's doing a standard uh, injury replacement start when all the other high usage guys are still around him is is very important, and then it's very different. Let's segue from COVID into the fantasy season a little bit, and I'm going to give you an open-ended one, which is always the most annoying question to answer, so apologies in advance. But what's been something that surprised you so far this year? First of all, Danny, I love open ends. That's a, it's a, great, <laughs> way. It's a great way to get in. Um, what surprised me the most? There's been a lot. Obviously, there's been a lot of players underperform. There's been some players overperform. Um Biggest surprise now, uh, maybe it's because I've just been looking at this team a, a lot today. DeAndre Hunter. I didn't know what the Hawks were going to do with their rotation. I still don't know because we haven't had Danilo Gallinari. We've got Bogdan Bogdanovich out. We still haven't got Chris Dunn. Uh, it's still all over the shop. But I did not expect DeAndre Hunter to be a player that they were really going to focus on and be their number two guy, maybe. like they're, they're using him as like a number two player ahead of John Collins. And he was a guy that when I talked to Hawks people before the season, they went... I'm not sure Hunter's going to even be in the rotation. I don't think they're that high in him. I think they want Reddish. They're going to have Bogdanovich. They're going to have Rondo. They're going to have uh, all these other guys. I'm not sure Hunter's going to play. And not only is he playing, is he playing a ton of minutes. He's shooting at a phenomenal rate. I think he's at 89% or 88% from the line. His two-point percentage is up by 10 percentage points. He's rebounding the ball better. He's playing 34 minutes. His usage is up. I didn't see that coming at all. And I still have a lot of skepticism about some of these numbers that he's putting up, but it's more the surprise in how they're viewing him when the thought from players or people around the team was that they are, they are lower on him than Collins and Reddish and the guys they brought in. They weren't sure what the hell role he was going to even play. Yeah, his numbers are, are crazy in that he's almost playing the exact same number of minutes per game season to season. Last year he was at 32 and two seconds, and this year he's at 32 minutes and five seconds. His field goal percent, like you said, is up 9%. Free throw percent is up 10%. He's rebounding more, which I don't even know how that makes any sense at all. He's scoring four and a half more points a game. I, I mean, I don't think this guy was, was... Was he drafted in any of your leagues? I don't think he was drafted in any of my leagues, and there generally went 180 picks deep. I don't think so. Um, it might have been in some, and if he, they, if he was, I would have said, what do you... Like, I don't I don't see it. I, again, and not just try to do this stuff, and like you, I don't, I'm not just trying to guess with everything. I you know, talk to people and go, look, what's, what's going on? What's with this Hawks rotation? Who's missing out? And, and you know, multiple times, I think it might be Hunter. That's wild, but I think it is because I think they're way, way down on him, but they're not. And then I still think it's going to come down because, yeah, I think if you bet on a player uh, you know, increasing their true shooting by 15 percentage points, which I think Hunter has done this season, if you bet against that continuing, you're going to be right. 
you know, 95% of the time. But there'll be the times like Brandon Ingram last year that you're wrong and you feel stupid for it. But I think the vast majority of the time it is going to come down. Yeah, I mean, people like to grab onto the one time that something is that goes wrong. But Ingram, very much the exception and not the rule. And like you pointed out, Gallo's been out basically the entire year. Bogdan is out for a while. Uh, you mentioned Chris Dunn, who still hasn't played a game. Um, Cam Reddish, who was going to be taking some of those shots and or minutes. He's out again. But it certainly does open up a lot of stuff for that team and... Yeah, DeAndre Hunter. That's an interesting one because uh, he doesn't really come up that much. He just was sort of so good right out of the shoot this year that it was like, oh, this guy needs to be started and played, and he hasn't slowed down even a little bit since then. Give me one more, Josh. One more surprise, either good or bad, before I let you get back to your day. All right, so this is a good one for me, is that you know when we came into the season, we weren't sure what the Sacramento Kings were going to do. And I think that's a phrase that we could all live by. Like, I'm not sure what, <laughs> we're, we're not sure what the Kings are going to do. And I was, and I, and I know you would have said this, but I said it plenty of times. I said signing Whiteside is very dangerous because Rashawn Holmes is considerably better, significantly better, definitely better. I had some pushback on that on Twitter, mate. Whiteside, he had blocked shots, he got rebounds. Oh my god, he's so much better. Okay, okay, you're wrong, but that's fine. But I said, it's the Kings, so they're going to screw this up. Are they, they going to play these guys 24 minutes each? Oh, my God. Like, this is horrendous. Like, what are they doing? It is the Kings, though. So whatever shit decision you could possibly make, they probably will make it in, in most cases. But I've been pleasantly surprised that they went, no, nah, Whiteside's actually trash. We're not going to play him at all because he is this bad. And this has been the case for a while with Whiteside. That we're not, but we're not going to play him because we realize that Holmes is better. And I have been absolutely stunned to see that level of competence in rotation decision-making, just in that one thing. They've had some other question marks, but in, in that one thing, the fact that they didn't come in and say we're playing them 24 minutes apiece and maybe even putting Whiteside ahead of Holmes, the fact that they've done that has been a massive surprise. It's the correct decision, obviously, but it's still a shock. A massive, massive shock. I think a lot of us, pretty much every fantasy analyst was like, okay, you got to hold on to Whiteside a little bit. Hold on. Kings are going to screw this up. They're going to do something dumb and give him, like you said, 18, 20, 22 minutes or something like that. And instead, Rashawn's playing 30 minutes a game. So he's been, he's ended up being one of the, the steals of fantasy drafts, again, it, precisely for the reason you mentioned, which is we all just assumed the Kings were going to soil themselves with this decision. Uh, and they've made some other very questionable ones, like you also said, but that one has been a great one. And uh, Lord knows, you know that the, uh, the hoop ball contingent is thrilled anytime Rashawn Holmes is doing something. Because our, our goal over here, I think, is to end up, once COVID is done, like having having soup with the Holmes family. That's the that's the end game for hoop ball as a company. <laughs> uh, Josh, of course, a, a fat, massive monster. Thank you to you, sir. I, I'll, I'll work on a nickname for you if you don't have one already. Mate, you can you can throw anything at me. Just uh, just just let, let me know what it is. I'll uh, I'll give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But uh, just, <laughs> just throw if you want to see how it fits. Next visit, I'm gonna come with like five nicknames, and you can pick your favorite of them. Sounds good. He's Josh Lloyd. He is at Redrock underscore B Ball on Twitter, and you will go and follow him immediately. Josh, one more time. Thank you, sir. No worries, Danny. That's our buddy Josh. A big thank you as always. Again, he is Redrock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. I am once again at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Figured I might as well just throw those in together for you guys. If you're going out there and doing a Twitter search, you can just add all of us. Want to take a moment here before we dive into our normal Friday fair on the show to drop one more recruiting pitch. Remember, this week is the sales recruiting pitch here on Fantasy NBA Today. I figure a few of you guys might only listen to the weekend episode, so should you have missed it earlier in the week, you get to hear it right now. Hoopball is bringing on salespeople, but again, it's a bit niche, so I want to tell you why. You need to have Pacific business hours free. It is heavily phone call sales, so you need to be comfortable on the phone, you need to enjoy being on the phone, having some, a little bit at least experience of phone sales would go a long way. I don't know, maybe you're working a night job, or you make your own hours, whatever you do, or you're in a time zone where Pacific time ends up pretty open for you. Like, I don't know, maybe you're in Newfoundland or something. Uh, or honestly, you could be in Eastern Australia right now because they're 19 hours ahead of us until Daylight Saving flips it back over. So if this is something that interests you, if it's something you've had a background in, it's an opportunity to sort of get your foot in the door at a sports company doing sales that might you know, you could use that as a path into doing other things. 
Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. This is an opportunity to make some money. Not an hourly gig. Commission, but very high upside on the commission stuff. Happy to talk to you guys about that if you're interested. But again, please don't apply unless you really do have Pacific Time hours open and can hammer the phones. It's not a screw-around kind of thing. It's a you-go, because if you're not go-go-going, it's not going to work. So again, that's Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com or at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Hopefully, I will be hearing from some of you over the weekend, and uh, you'll get right back from me. I can uh, put the subject line, something like interested in the sales position. That way, I can just pull it right out of the general mailbox, and I can get back with you that way. Let's dive into our week in review stuff now on the podcast. We'll start with ads. I think that's the stuff that people want to hear about the most. We've also got holds, watch lists, drops, all that good stuff. And the ads of the week, by the way, these are in no particular order. I generally just go through box scores, making sure I've checked every team. So I, I, you know, I try not to miss any key names. That's probably one or two guys that slip through on a weekly basis, but I really do do my best on this stuff. And uh, again, so this is just in the order that I saw these players' names as I was going through some stuff. And we're going to stop. We're going to break down, in my opinion, some of the more important ones. So let's get into the ads right out of the chute. Jeremy Lamb is one of my favorite ads of this week. He was a guy that we heard at the end of last week was starting to get close, that he had been through full practices. He was basically ready to go as soon as he felt like the conditioning was where he wanted it to be. Made his debut on Wednesday. And looked pretty good in almost 20 minutes of action. We'll have a little bit more data coming up on Jeremy Lamb later on today. Plays on Friday night. I would expect his minutes probably pretty close to where they were in that first game on Wednesday. I don't think they're going to be increasing them every single game. This will be stepwise. He'll probably have a couple of games where he's right around 20. And then when his body seems like it can handle those, he'll probably bump it up to 22, 23. But his body can handle those. I mean, this all might be two or three games for each one of those rungs on the ladder, or there might be a point at which his body's just like, okay, I'm good. Let's do this thing. And they they jack him up to 27 minutes. I think the end point for him with TJ Warren and Karis LeVert out long-term is potentially 30 minutes right now. And that may, that may pare down if either one or both of those guys is back before the season's over. But right now, he has a massive window of opportunity that could be multiple months long and the last time he was playing about 30 minutes in Charlotte remember he was hovering near the top 50 I don't think he's getting that high with Demonis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon each in the pecking order in front of him but top 70 top 75 very realistic expectations as he gets fully up to speed so I love Jeremy Lamb tons of upside that most of the guys in the waiver wire that even the guys we're about to talk about simply don't provide So I know I said this was in no particular order, but he is very much my favorite ad of the week. Next guy on the ad list is DeAndre Jordan, who we've talked about quite a few times this week. So I don't want to go through the whole explanation again. And I know that not every game is going to blow your mind. In fact, his last performance was, frankly, not particularly inspiring. But he did still do enough in that one, even with this sort of you know, lack of rebounds, where over the last week, his last three ball games, DeAndre's number 73. That's a small sample size. Nine points, seven boards, 1.7 blocks. He's four out of five from the field. He's averaging four makes in five tries over this last week. Nine points, probably not sustainable for him. Seven rebounds? Yeah, absolutely. 0.7 steals? Eh, probably a little bit on the high side, but who knows? I mean, he's, he's been around a steal per game before. 1.7 blocks, that feels pretty high. Good field goal percent, probably coming down a little bit. So, you know, it all levels off to probably a top 100, 110, 115 range center. But if you catch him on the right week, then he makes for a a useful player where he might have two, three, four weeks in a row where he's in that, you know, 90, 95 range. And anybody in the double digits in a 12-team league should be started. If you're in a league where it's so easy for you that you only pick up guys inside the top 75... Get the other people in that league to put more money on the line or get a tougher league or just keep destroying people, in which case that's fine, but you probably don't need this podcast. Uh, Other pickup on the same team, Jeff Green, who is number 85 over the last week, not that far actually from DeAndre, who we just talked about. Jeff, 13 and a half points, almost six rebounds, three three pointers, no real defensive stats. He's shooting 70%, which is not sustainable. 
And so, you know, between those two guys, I think I'd probably rather have Jeff Green because it seems like his minutes are trending up and DeAndre's minutes are not. But at the same time, it's actually easier for Jordan to sustain fantasy value because we don't need him to make a jump shot. We don't need something that is a little bit more volatile where Jeff Green could just go cold for a week and he could shoot 34%. And his 13 points could, you know, go down to seven. And even if the rebounds, the steals, et cetera, all that stuff stayed the same, if you take away the three-pointers, the points, the field goal percent number, then he becomes pretty bad. Whereas with DeAndre Jordan, if he's just out there for 20-some-odd minutes, he's going to get a handful of rebounds. You know, four or five is more of like a worst-case scenario there. He's going to get a dunk or two, given the players that he's with. And he'll probably just bumble his way into a blocked shot because he's a giant dude that'll play basically just standing near the rim on defense and giving other big men as much room as they can have. Whatever they want. Defensively, the Nets are a mess. Which is kind of good for fantasy value because it means they're just going to be running back and forth and trying to make sure that they score every time also. Wayne Ellington is on my list of pickups this week, which is super weird because... Even over the last week, where he's now kind of began to make a name for himself, averaging 16 points, almost five three-pointers a game over that stretch, on 54% shooting, he's still outside the top 120, which, yeah, I mean, that severely limits his upside. But here's, let me make the case to you guys for Wayne Ellington and why someone hitting almost five three-pointers a game is almost never going to be outside the top 100. Here, here's the case for Wayne Ellington. He's never been a monster defensive stats guy. He's never been that. He's averaging half a steal a game in about 21 minutes per ball game over his career. But right now, he's playing in that kind of 27 to 29 range lately, kind of since he's taken over the reins at the shooting guard spot. And he's at 0.2 steals on the season per game in about 21 minutes so that's actually well below his career mark okay so that number while it's not going to get high to say it's going to get high would be disingenuous and bad handicapping it's not going to be zero he's basically at zero right now so throw half a steal 0.6.7 steals on top of almost four three-pointers And that, with almost nothing else, gets you inside the top 100. Because if you're making almost four three-pointers a game, that guarantees you're scoring at least, roughly, 11 to 12 points per game. So he could get you in that 11 to 14 range if he's just jacking up threes. And he's actually a pretty good foul shooter, although right now this year he's at 75%. Super low volume, but he's still 10% under his career mark. His field goal percent is high. That's not going to stay where it's at so far this year. But I'm a little bit less worried about that. Some of his really good shooting games actually came in ones where he hadn't really carved out starters minutes yet. And by the way, his starting job could just vanish at a moment's notice. But if it doesn't, it would be pretty cool to get a guy on your team who's hitting four three-pointers a game. You wouldn't have to worry about that stat as much. You could move someone else who's getting two three-pointers a game that you don't really need those two anymore. Let's venture to Portland for our last couple of ads. One of them is Ennis Cantor, which has been a pretty easy one to handicap so far. They had to use him somewhere. And he's, you know, top 25 guy over the last week because of that insane defensive stat game. That number's coming down. He'll probably settle in the top 80 range as a fill-in. They're just not, not going to play him more than about 26, 27 minutes of ball game because he doesn't defend anybody. Nobody does on Portland right now. That's not, I guess that's not fair. Derek Jones Jr. tries, Rob Covington tries, but they're just, I mean, they're a wreck without McCollum and without Nurk. They've lost their luster. They've lost their love for the season with those two injuries. They're, I think they're broken. And Dame always finds a way to pick up his teams when they're broken. But damn, they, they look like they got emotionally slugged. They got slugged. The other one is Derek Jones Jr., by the way. I'm talking about the... 
you know, what we're going to do with Portland with McCollum and Nurk down. I think Derek Jones Jr. is the the other grab there, and, and there's no guarantee that he remains it. He's number 108 over the last week, seven points, seven boards, two steals, one and a half blocks, uh, 33% of the free throw line. That's that's not going to stay that low. 44% from the field probably also won't stay that low. If he's just going in and dunking things, he'll, he'll shoot better than that. The reason I like Derek Jones Jr. is the floor. He has this. This is kind of the floor, minus you know the the defensive stats probably won't stay quite that high, and then the percentages won't stay quite that low. The reason I like him over Gary Trent Jr. or Rodney Hood is that their value is tied to whether or not a three pointer is going down. It, it just it sucks to know that their playing time and fantasy value is reliant on them coming out warm every game. It just won't happen. It doesn't happen for the best shooters in the NBA, let alone guys that are, you know, kind of fringy NBA player. Nah, I mean, that's not, not really fair, but these are not guys that have locked in starting roles yet, you know? And it's possible they end up outperforming Derek Jones Jr. It really is. They could end up, Portland might just decide, screw it, we're going to go all offense. We got no chance of stopping anybody, so we need all shooters on the floor. And maybe Hood and Trent turn out to be those guys. But I would rather roll the dice on a dude that can get me over a steal, over a block a game with field goal percent and some rebounds than saying, I hope Rodney Hood scores 15 with two and a half, three-pointers and nothing else. Those two guys, by the way, are on the watch list section of these proceedings. So we'll, you can go ahead and just check them off your list right now. Rodney Hood, Gary Trent Jr., those are on the watch list. And that's your ads list so far. We'll segue from ads into holds. These are guys that are largely on fantasy basketball teams that have had kind of an up and down last few games. Some of them up, some of them down, but remain on fantasy teams. They should not be given up upon, and you shouldn't really think too much about it. Justin Holiday remains a hold on Indiana. It's just too easy for him to sit around the top 100 mark with threes and steals. You don't have to worry about it. Set it and forget it. He's sort of like a new addition Danny Green that is actually slightly more consistent. Not as many heaters and cold spells. He's just sort of quietly decent every ballgame. No upside, no downside. Weird player to have sort of neither of those. Cole Anthony remains a hold. I'm, on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm like a a 6.5 concerned about Evan Fournier's return punching whatever hole in for, in Anthony's game that maybe was starting to emerge, that game winner kind of buys him a little bit more clout with the team he's playing on. But it's hard to be a fourth fiddle as a point guard, as a rookie, when your team is running their offense through their power forward. So it's possible Cole Anthony ends up being not rosterable, but you just you have to keep holding on until he completely falls apart. He's number 130 over the last week, four games at 12 and a half points, about five boards, four assists, a steal, almost a block, poor percentages. We just we don't really know what to expect from this kid, and so you got to give him a little bit of a leash. See what he's going to do. Terrence Ross is a hold. I know he's been awful the last week and a half. Just cannot throw the ball in the damn ocean at this point. But that's the Terrence Ross experience. He's going to be ice cold for four or five games. You can bench him if you need to in a roto league. In head-to-head, you just sort of keep trotting him out there. He'll get you a few points. He'll get you a steal or a block every now and then. And then suddenly he'll get hot again, and he'll do what he did at the beginning of the season. He'll just start raining in buckets, and it'll be crazy. Hold. Marvin Bagley. Back on the hold list here. He bought himself another uh, visit to the hold list. He's in mid number 58 over the last week. 19 points, 8 boards, almost two three-pointers, a little under a steal, a little under a block. There's always been some upside with Bagley, and it's why I was kind of middling on him on draft day. I thought, well, this is a guy that's like, he's getting drafted in the 115-125 range. Man, it's possible the whole thing just blows up in our face. But once you get into that kind of 10th, 11th round, whatever you're talking about in your fantasy draft, you might as well just take a swing on a guy where I still thought, and maybe this still happens, if Sacramento kind of force feeds Bagley because they they should at least want him to be a part of their, their building blocks. They spent an awfully high draft pick on him. 
one that's going to go down, unfortunately, is one of the severe misses to go that direction instead of the other directions that were available to them. Draft based on best player, not need. Well, we need a big man and, you know, whatever. But, you know, he, he was playing what? He was playing like 25 minutes a game last couple of years. And he had the suspension last year and the injury. And we never really got to see what Bagley could do healthy, full starters minutes. We hadn't seen it. Maybe this is the start of it. Because look at what he did last year in 26 minutes of ballgame. He's at 14.7.5 rebounds, a block, half a steal. This year, in about one additional minute, his scoring is down a point, rebounding ever so slightly up, blocks down, three-pointers up, free throw percent very low. So there's a lot of things that could actually improve for him. Free throw percent should come back a little bit at the very least. Blocks should come back a little bit at the very least. And if his minutes trend up towards 28-29, you take those numbers, maybe you look a little bit more like the rookie year, and can you extrapolate from that? Free throw percent is going to be a big wild card here. Is he a 70%er? Is he an 80%er? What the hell is he? I don't know. But he's looked pretty good his last three games in a row. 20-5, and 26-10, and 10-8 and eight with a steal in a blowout loss to the Clippers. That one was... A little bit less exciting for him. So Marvin Bagley remains a hold. Nick Batum remains a hold, largely because he's only on this list. It's not like he's been playing poorly. He's actually on this list because I think we were all kind of half expecting him to fall off a cliff with Marcus Morris back. And instead of falling off a cliff, he's just sort of slowly ambling down a shallow grade. What I mean by that is, uh, two weeks ago, he played 36 minutes, 26, 30, 28. Last week, if you started that 28-minute game, 28, 27, 21, 25, and the last game was 26. Admittedly, there have been a few blowouts in there, so that may be driving the minutes down. But in the one super competitive game, is at 27, whereas the very competitive games two weeks ago, he was at 34 to 35. So Marcus Morris has definitely hurt the Nick Batum upside. But he's been really good so far this year. He's hitting three-pointers. He's at two a game, 10 points, five boards, two and a half assists, 1.3 steals. He just needed to get the hell off a losing team. I mean, no, very few people had mailed it in quite the way Nick Batum has mailed it in the last few years. I mean, he was in full end-of-career Rasheed Wallace as long as they cut the check mode. He was doing nothing. Played 23 minutes a game last year, averaged less than four shots a night. I mean, that's, that's just, that's a joke. That's an absolute joke. Go back to his time early with Charlotte when, when there was hope, when there were dreams. His first season with the Hornets, uh, he played 35 minutes a game, averaged 15, 6, and 6 with a steal, half a block, and two three-pointers. The 1.3 steals right now is largely unsustainable. He's averaged one a game in 31 minutes a night over his career. He's at 28 minutes a game right now, so that number will probably come down to about 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. 0. 0.3 blocks may actually move up ever so slightly. He's averaged 0. 0.6 blocks in his career, uh, less than that lately. But the 0. 0.3 does still seem a bit on the low side. The three-pointers, sustainable free throw percent, sustainable field goal percent, probably not sustainable this year. But again, I don't think you need to drop him before things come apart. Do I think they're going to come apart? Yes, I do. I do think at some point this year, Nicholas Batum will end up a drop candidate, but he's not there yet. So hold for now. And if you want to keep starting him, I'm fine with that. And I'm not sure I needed to put this next guy on the list, but Lou Dort, who was on our hold list last week, I'm going to keep him on our hold list. And I I didn't need to tell you guys that because he's actually been really good in the... Thunder most recent two ball games. They did have one postponed in between there, but he had 21 points, six three-pointers against the Bulls, and then followed that up with 20 points, a steal, five boards, three threes against the Denver Nuggets. So he's getting hot again, his field goal percent trending back up. The three-pointers, the steals now have pushed him inside the top 100. And at the moment, he is the best Thunder, best ranked Thunder, not named Shea Gilgis-Alexander. 
He steamrolled past his teammate Darius Baisley, who's number 183. George Hill has stopped taking shots, and he's fallen to 143. Al Horford has been the ultimate boredom player at 130, and he's been out for personal stuff for a little bit. Uh, for Horford, by the way, I do think his field goal percent comes back up. I don't know that I would call him a buy low, because I don't think you have to give up very much to get him. But, you know, if someone would, like, if you could trade Lou Dort for Al Horford, I probably would. Maybe someone will just trade Thunder with you. Try flipping some 3 and D type of guy for Horford. Because he's got, there's really nothing but upside with Al at this point. 11.7 boards, he gets assists. I think the steals and blocks will probably be, they will improve. Field goal percent definitely will. He's not going to shoot 41.8. I don't know if it's going to get all the way back up where it used to be back in the day because he's chucking threes now. But 41.8? Yeah, no, probably not. Watch list, guys, and we'll start to move a little bit quicker here because I wanted to make sure there were explanations on all the other stuff. The watch list is Torian Prince, who had a really nice first game, and the Cavs did end up trading Kevin Porter Jr. to the Rockets. Just issues with that kid. Can't get along with anybody. Uh, By the way, Kevin Porter Jr., not at all interested in what he's going to do in Houston. What that does for Cleveland, though, is it does clear out a little bit of potential space. Not that he was playing anyway, but we were always a tad concerned what when Porter comes back, what's this going to do to a, a team that's already... They are a logjam of logjams. There's so many logjams, they're, they're jammed up. Unfortunately, though, there's still too many bodies there. Jetty Osman, who's been playing well on the wing. Darius Garland isn't back. Uh, Isaac Okoro. There's just... Uh, Damian Dotson, tons of bodies out there. And that's not even getting into the bigger guys. Why the hell did we even go down this road? Oh, Torian Prince and Jetty Osmond, both on the watch list because they could disappear just as fast as they surface. Daniel Tice is on my watch list kind of perpetually. I do think the return of the Time Lord will render him back into the not-playing-enough-minutes bucket. But Tristan Thompson kind of got phased out in that last ball game. It, it just it feels like a little bit of a who-has-energy type of scenario in Boston, and that makes any of those guys a little bit tough to have, Time Lord being the easiest one, since seemingly he only needs about 15 minutes to hit fantasy value, and that is a low number. How's that for good analysis? Jakob Pertl is on my watch list. Gotta watch him. Not that I think he's going to take over for LaMarcus Aldridge, Aldridge looks old and slow, so I don't know that anybody would even want to be a trade partner with the Spurs right now. It's really more in the event that Aldridge gets hurt, which feels almost inevitable, and it it seems kind of like he knows it. I say that because he won't go anywhere near the basket anymore. I feel like LaMarcus is out there going, if I go near that basket, someone is going to snap my old butt like a twig. At some point, he's going to have to venture closer to it and grab a rebound, and they, he just might break. So Pirtle's worth watching, and he's close. He's close to fantasy value anyway, but not quite there. And then Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood, who we talked about earlier, I don't think they make it in terms of fantasy value, even with everybody out for the Blazers, but you can at least watch them at the very least. Drops. Norman Powell, who looked like he was turning a corner, disappeared in the next one. There's not going to be enough consistency there. We're seeing it. The Raptors are only using him when he's hot, which is a fat disappointment. Because I took Norman Powell in the early 100s, and there were some other guys that have panned out a lot better in that range, and that pisses me off. Bobby Portis is a drop. We knew this one was going to tail off. We knew it was not going to last. There was just no damn way he was going to hang on. He's number 92 overall on the year. But he has been far worse than that over the last week, where he's number 186. And that, of course, is the what have you done for me lately thing. Great if you got his production the first two weeks of the year, but if you're still milking it, it's bringing you down. I threw a streamer name in here, but I don't think it matters because I wrote it up when uh, it seemed like the Grizzlies might still play basketball games, and that was Xavier Tillman. But uh, they're postponed for a week, so throw that one out. And my buy-low recommendation of the week is Devin Booker. I think we are now officially deep enough into his disappointing start to the year where you can get him for a lower value than his likely end point. We talked a bunch. We talked a bunch 
on the podcast two days ago, right? Was it yesterday or two days ago? Nobody knows. Nobody keeps track of these things. No, that's not true. Somebody does. About how very hard it is to trade with people when you have different valuations of a player, but they're not, but they're, there's not the right buffer. Meaning, if I went to trade for Devin Booker and I thought he was going to be a top 35 ish per game guy the rest of the way this year, I would be trying to acquire him for someone who is going to be lower than that. So I'd be trying to get him for someone who's like a top 50, 55, or maybe a pair of top 65, top 70 type of guys. You can throw a little two for one together. Maybe that pans out for you. The problem is the person who is selling Devin Booker probably spent a pick near the turn on him. Something between 10 and 15, I would venture to guess. That's where he was going in most drafts this year. So you'd think that person, I know Booker's number 122 so far this year, and I know it's been hideous, but do you think that person's going to give up Booker for someone ranked around 50? No way. Even if they think he finishes at a lower number, they're not selling him that low. The best price you probably get on Booker is someone that both sides agree is, you know, a top 30-ish guy the rest of the way. Like, who's in that range right now? Gordon Hayward probably is a great example of someone who's going to be probably hovering near top 30 the rest of the way. Gordon Hayward is probably about the best thing you could get if you're selling Booker right now, and probably also the best thing you could, or the, the lowest thing you could give up most expensive, sorry, the most expensive thing you could give up to buy Devin Booker right now. No one's going to pay more than that with the way he's playing. So your only hope, and I know that I, like, like I'm calling him a buy low here because I think we're now inching towards a world, a scenario, where there is just barely some daylight there. Where the person who has Booker might be looking at him now and thinking, you know, Bleep. It's my sensor. Boop. Boop. Booker. Yeah, this guy's gonna be this guy's gonna be a top 35, top 40 guy for me now. Damn. Damn. Like I said, I think he probably ends up in that 35 range. So maybe I can go out there and I can find someone that's overperforming a little bit. Maybe someone where the current Booker owner believes him to be a top 35 guy, and I believe him actually to be a top 50 guy. So who the hell is that? Well, I mean, who are we talking about at this point? Who's in the top 35 range? Who's probably going to tail back towards the top 50? I'll give you a name right now. One of my favorite dudes in the NBA, Tobias Harris. He's number 31. Remember, he started the year inside the first round. No one's even really noticed that he's tailed off a little bit. Numbers are still great. 19 and 7. Three, three assists, a steal, a block, two three-pointers, 50% from the field, 90% at the free-throw line. Tobias making a 50-40-90 push. By the way, that free-throw percent is going to come down. The steals and blocks are going to come down because that's just not who he is. The other stuff is relatively sustainable. But if you peel those other things away, he goes from number 31 to, you know, more like number 50. You take the defensive stats away. He's no longer a net positive in those two categories. Yeah, he falls around round and a half. So you might have someone out there who's like, oh, okay, Tobias Harris. He's gotten off to a great start. They probably remember the fact that he was dominant through two weeks, top 15, tailing off a little bit here lately. He's number 31. They're like, oh, cool, you know, top 35 guy. This is me getting an okay return on my Devin Booker, whereas I believe Tobias Harris, much as I love him, is probably going to be more like a top 50 guy. And so then there's a one round, you can slip a, a piece of paper in between the guy you trade away, the guy you got coming in. The real reason I put Booker on this list is because I wanted to talk about what might happen here going forward. You need to be ready to make your move. If Devin Booker has crummy games over the weekend and crummy games into early next week, his sell price continues to drop. With every bad game he has, and with every night he remains outside the top 115, you can get him for a little bit less. But on the night he wakes up, it's all gone. In one night. Doesn't even matter what his rank is. 
All it takes is one whopper of a game, and you can't get that guy anymore. It resets the impatience meter of a Devin Booker GM. So maybe he does stink another game or two. Maybe you could throw a Terry Rozier or a Colin Sexton or a Kyle Lowry or a Macau Bridges. I don't think you can go much farther than that. Maybe you could maybe you can push this a little farther down the board, but just know that that day he wakes up, it's over. Weekend preview. And let's do it at a pretty good clip here too because you know, I want to make sure we talk about everything that we're watching for. But I think we're pushing an hour at this point. Chicago is in Charlotte. We'll start with the Friday card. A crap ton of games happening tonight, although uh, a couple of them got postponed. Was this going to be a 13-gamer? Holy hell. This was. This was going to be a 13-game card until two of them got postponed. But the ones that still exist, the Bulls and the Hornets. And by the way, we're going to dodge the uh, sports betting elements here. This is this is exclusively fantasy. If you want my sports betting takes, they're on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I've already given you that handle before. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball. Uh, and I talk about sports betting on Twitter all the time now, so uh, we're going to jump over that on the podcast. Bulls are in Charlotte to take on the Hornets. Uh, it sounds like Wendell Carter Jr. might miss this ball game. Does that create a Daniel Gafford streaming opportunity, or do they just slide Lowry Marketing up to center? I'm not willing to take the plunge there. But anytime anyone in the front court is out, it's good for the other front court guys. So that's really all you're paying attention to there. And with the Hornets, Cody Zeller sounds like he's going to make his return. This could actually be terrible for P.J. Washington. It's probably the guy that it hurts the most. I mean, Bismarck Biombo, but should have been on a roster anyway. The uh, Orlando Magic are in Indiana. We're definitely watching Jeremy Lamb and Cole Anthony in that ball game. That's an easy one. That's an easy what to watch for, I think. Uh, I don't know that you need to actually watch the game live because Lamb is probably only playing 20 minutes again. But just keep in watch on what his minutes played trend line looks like is going to be your your move. Houston is in Detroit. Pistons, you're watching Derrick Rose. You're watching DeLon Wright. that's about it right now. With Houston, there's still a bunch of bodies out. Sounds like Christian Wood might miss this game, so this is a boogie streaming opportunity, if ever there were one. Boston-Philadelphia, a little rematch game. Nothing really there. It sounds like Kemba Walker, by the way, is, his minutes restriction is being raised to about 25 or 26 now, so that is an all-systems go on Kemba. 26 minutes, he could easily be a top 60 guy. Easy. Maybe better because Jason Tatum still isn't back. So this is going to be the Kemba Jalen Brown show. Just chucking away. Usage is value. Value is money. Enjoy that. Miami, Toronto. Guy still missing on the Heat side with Toronto. I think they're it's sort of no longer watch list dudes on that team. They've 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 solidified it. Miami's the same story. I'm not looking for data until they get their dudes back. Brooklyn, Cleveland. This should be an interesting rematch. Cavs won the last one in double overtime. You're watching Torian Prince on the Cleveland side. Jared Allen, Andre Drummond on the Cleveland side. Maybe Jetty Osmond, but no, we know that thing's going to come apart here. Brooklyn, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green. Lots of things to watch. Watch this game. It should be fun again. I think everybody assumes Brooklyn's just going to come back and dominate. And they might. Hard to dominate when you don't play defense, though. Minnesota still has a bunch of guys out, so I don't really care about anything there. Atlanta. Uh, not, I'm not really paying attention much until Gallo comes back. I want to know what his role is going to be. But for now, you know, they're coming off a, a better game for most of the front court. Capella, John Collins, both successful. Dallas, San Antonio. Will the Mavs have any of their guys back? We don't know yet at the time of recording this podcast. For the Spurs... Nothing. This is a nothing. Knicks, Kings, Marvin Bagley is your watch list guy. Alec Burks, does he play in a back-to-back? Even if he doesn't here, he will eventually. Coming off an ankle twist. He's not coming off an ACL tear. 
nothing else really to pay attention to. I mean, Bagley is an interesting story. Like, if he really gets it going, he could be well inside the top 100, but kind of have to see it to believe it a little bit at this point. Can the Kings play any defense at all? They really don't. Thunder, all the guys, Hill, Roby, if Horford's still out, Baisley, Dort, Clippers, Beverly, Batum, Morris, Denver. Sounds like Michael Porter Jr. might be back for this ballgame, so that's something to watch. What is his impact on the rest of those dudes? Jamal Murray, man, we know he's playing hurt. He's said it, and he's been bad so far this year. He's number 102. Free throw percent in particular, that's the really weird one. So that's why you know he's feeling it. Something's not right. Phoenix side, we're watching DeAndre Ayton. He woke up in the last two ball games. Is this the sign of things to come? Is this a blip? Chris Paul, Devin Booker, can they get things going? Somehow, despite being really not very good so far, Chris Paul's still in that 60 range. Just such an easy fantasy game to translate. And that's your big old 11-game Friday card. Philly uh, is in Detroit on a back-to-back on Saturday. We already talked about both of those two teams. Miami, Brooklyn, same deal. Pelicans, nothing to watch with that team. Minnesota, we've talked about. Lakers, nothing really to pay attention to there. Bulls, Rockets, Mavs, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors, nothing there. Utah, nothing there. I mean, this is the thing. We The fantasy season, well, let me finish Sunday, and then I'll loop back around with a kind of a final philosophical thought. Toronto, Indiana, covered all those guys. Thunder, Clippers, Hornets, Magic, Wizards. They're scheduled to play. We'll see. That one might be getting canceled also. I mean, that's that's a watch list just to see what the hell's going on if they ever get back out on the court. Spurs, Cavs, Celtics, Hawks, Bucks. They they wouldn't have played since Thursday, but there really isn't anything to watch for there. And then the uh, Knicks and the Blazers. The Blazers, you're, of course, watching... Cantor, Jones, Trent, and uh, Rodney Hood. So the Blazers are one of the rare teams that also hasn't played in seemingly forever. They had their Grizzlies games suspended or postponed, and so that's why we haven't seen Portland in a little while. The, um, the philosophical thought I had that I wanted used to sort of tie the show together with a neat little bow is that the fantasy season is very much an, an ebb and flow it's a it's a sine wave. The up part, the positive part of the sine wave, that's when guys are showing up on the waiver wire. And that happened on Wednesday of this week when Jeremy Lamb made his return and Jeff Green stepped into a bigger role and Wayne Ellington appeared and Derek Jones Jr. suddenly now with more minutes than he knows what to do with. And all of this stuff basically happened on Wednesday, whether it was by injury, by necessity, whatever coming back from injury, it all kind of happened on one day. It was like a one- or two-day stretch there where all of a sudden there were four or five guys that all surfaced as interesting. And then there are going to be stretches, like we're talking about here with all these teams over the weekend. There are like a solid third of teams in the NBA that just don't really have fantasy stuff happening right now. And you might look at that and think, damn, that's boring. I want to watch everybody. I want to be hunting dudes in every single ballgame. But... Try to look at it from the positive standpoint, which is you don't have to pay attention to every team right now to be really good at working the waiver wire. Yes, we're going to still check the box scores. And on Monday, we're still going to do a reverse chronological lightning round. We'll talk about every single damn team in the NBA that played over the weekend. But, but when you're watching the games live, when you're trying to make these critical in-the-moment pick-up-drop decisions in the, live as things are happening... It's really nice to only have to switch between two games instead of six. Because maybe in those other four games, there's like one out of the eight teams that you have interest in, passing interest, as opposed to five, six days ago, maybe you needed to watch all of them. And that's not to say that someone might appear out of the blue on one of these teams, like Wayne Ellington did with Detroit, and and that's why we're always going to watch the box scores. But difference makers, the guys we're watching right now, guys that could be difference makers... We can really narrow it down, and that's cool also, and we'll be ready for the next uh, ebb or flow or whichever part of the metaphor makes sense for when you want to be picking guys up. I don't know. 
Big thank you to mybookie.ag. As always, I know we didn't do betting chats on today's show, but they are our official sports betting partner here at hoop-ball.com. So many of you have signed up for an account at mybookie.ag, and I've heard so many incredible positive stories about odds boost nights and contests and the blackjack and following our hoop ball guys and the picks they're making in the wager pass. Go to mybookie.ag now. Sign up promo code hoopball, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, and tweet at me over the weekend. Before you make your first deposit, I may have one prize left over the weekend. Mybookie.ag, promo code hoopball, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Bug me over the weekend. Do not wait until Sunday night because I might not be in front of my computer. So hit me up early in the weekend when you make your account, and I might just have a prize for you. Also, we're pushing, I mean, this is a full-season fantasy show, um, but I'm pushing the wager pass on you guys right now. It's $9.99 a month for plays from seven handicappers. Brewski, by the way, at the time of me recording this podcast, has rattled off an 8-1 and one run in the NBA. 8-1. and one. I think he's up like 13 or 14 units. A unit, by the way, is an average bet size for a sports better. So even if you were a, a very low better, even if you're betting like 10 bucks on a game, Brew just paid for your entire year of the wager pass. So please do check that out. Go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, and select wager pass, and join us. Make that account at mybookie.ag. Let me get you a prize, and then follow our NBA picks and cruise off into the sunset. It's a glorious thing. Massive thank you once again to our buddy Josh Lloyd at RedRock underscore B-Ball for jumping on the show and talking theory, philosophy of fantasy with us here on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris, your gracious host. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, guys, for listening for another week. Drop a five-star review if you're liking what you're hearing. Subscribe. That's a big deal for us as well. And I will talk to you guys on the social media Saturday and Sunday and back at you with Reverse Chronological Lightning Round on Monday here on The Pod. My voice is going, so I am too. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.